Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After a man was killed at the hands of a specialized police unit in Memphis, protests have spawned across the country. That kind of unit? We know a thing or two about that here in Detroit. Instituting a undercover program, STRESS. It stood for Stop the Robberies, Enjoy Safe Street. Fifty years before Memphis and its Scorpion unit, Detroit had STRESS. What lessons could and should be learned? This is The Daily J. I'm Zach Clark. In early January, a man named Tyree Nichols was beaten to death by Memphis police officers that were part of a specialized unit called Scorpion. As a result, six officers were fired and five have been charged with second-degree murder. That kind of unit and that kind of police violence is not new here in Detroit. In the early 1970s, Detroit Mayor Roman Gribbs and his police commissioner, John Nichols, led the way in instituting a undercover program, STRESS. It stood for Stop the Robberies, Enjoy Safe Streets. Detroit in the 1970s it was changing in many ways, certainly in terms of racial composition. Leading up to the start of stress, Detroit was about 50% white and about 50% black and other people of color. However, the police force was still largely white. The uh, stress decoy program was designed to reduce crime in critical pockets of the city. Now, most of those critical pockets of the city happened to be where there were majority African-American populations. The stress decoy program was largely white and policing communities that were largely black. That right there is the voice of Detroit historian and journalist Ken Coleman. The stress unit existed in Detroit from 1971 through 1973, and it was created in response to an uptick in violence following the 1967 Detroit race riots. I wanted to learn more about stress, so I spoke with documentarian David Van Wee. He directed the 2017 documentary Detroit Under Stress. But it turns out David's connection to stress, it's a lot deeper than that. My father was partners with Ray Peterson, who probably is one of the most notorious stress officers out there. Growing up, I had no idea what my father did. He was never in uniform. I knew he carried a gun, but he was always in plain clothes. I was told that he worked for the city, and that was it. It wasn't until years later David got the full story. I was in Army ROTC in college, and I had come back, and I wanted my dad to take me out shooting. And by that time, I knew he was a police officer, but that was it. 
he had brought his 357. While we're driving, I'm looking down and I see notch marks. And I say, you know, Dad, why do you have notch marks in the bottom of your gun? And he goes, why the hell do you think I have notch marks in the bottom of my gun? About 10 years ago, he was going to a stress reunion. I said, hey, Dad, can I go to the stress reunion with you? And he says, no relatives, no wives. It's just stress officers. And I go, well, what's the big deal? What's, what's this whole stress thing? For whatever reason, that morning, my dad told me the entire story of stress from front to back. I walked out of there with my mouth hanging on the ground. We know the background of why stress came to be, but why this idea specifically? Ike McKinnon was Detroit's chief of police from 1993 to 1998, but in the 70s, he was just another officer on the force. There was a great amount of street crimes at that time, and usually by young black men. I believe Commissioner Nichols and whomever advised him that this was the best way to eradicate the crime by having Detroit police officers pretend to be uh, a person who was on the street, and these officers would pretend to be a person who was just there, and these officers would stop whomever it might be from trying to rob them. It was primarily in certain areas, whether it was the 13th precinct, the 1st precinct, or downtown, which the officers would have, I believe, three or four-man crews, and then they would uh, hopefully stop this person and arrest them for committing these crimes. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to David was perspective. It's things like this, David recalling a story he was told by a Wayne County Sheriff's deputy while filming the documentary. And he says, you know, there was a, an incident where a guy took a stick and he threw it at a stress officer and that stress officer shot and killed him. Can you believe that? And I said, um, well, actually, it wasn't a stick. It was a mop handle. And that was my dad. And when my dad turned around after his name was Neil Bray, my dad was turning and he hit him across the face with a, with a mop handle, which crushed his face. And as he was falling to the ground, he pulled out his gun and shot him. And I remember that not because I was there, but because when I was growing up, my dad had to have so many surgeries that there were times when his face was so bandaged, I couldn't kiss my dad goodnight. How did this all go wrong? Ike McKinnon told me these kinds of units really lacked supervision. It was easier for them to kind of run amok. David describes his father and his colleagues as the judge, jury, and executioner. Over time, you become so poisoned by the system that you lose perspective. We talked about this in the documentary. There were three suspects named Boyd Bethune and Brown. Those three had shot up four stress officers in the first encounter. They had killed another one in another encounter, shooting him in the head at point-blank range. If you're on this unit and this has happened, you just completely lose perspective. If you're human at all, you're going to be enraged. And so what happened is it created this manhunt. And I think that manhunt was the beginning of the end because they went out and broke all the rules to try and find these guys. And in doing that, they can ostracize the community. I think that they were, at that point, out for revenge. You have to understand that, right? Is it a good thing? No. 
The stress unit's time was brief, but it was responsible for the deaths of at least 22 people in that time frame. Ken tells me the program was put to an end by a very familiar name. Coleman A. Young runs for mayor in 1973. He felt like stress was an occupying army of white people largely wreaking havoc on black people. And one of his first handful of executive orders as mayor of Detroit in 1974 is abolishing the stress unit. Now, in addition to that, through a charter revision process that started about the same time stress did, Detroit voters put into place a new part of city government called the Detroit Board of Police Commissioners. It was a civilian group of men and women who would oversee aspects of police operations. So what's the answer here? David says for places like Detroit in the 70s and Memphis now, the situation is almost unwinnable. In Detroit, you had three people getting shot and killed every day, and you had 90 robberies a day. So things were way out of hand, and how do you deal with it? It's happening mostly in poor neighborhoods, and those people can't leave. And at the same time, now they can't go out and even walk to the bank without getting robbed or worse. I don't purport to know the answer, but if you are going to fight crime, it has to be proactive at some level. I don't believe that community policing where the officer shows up afterwards is enough of a deterrent as proactive policing. And unfortunately, in our society, when these incidents happen, which are horrible, we don't make excuses. You have to hold the people that are accountable accountable. But at the same time, you don't stop proactive policing because then you're leaving that community and that's not good for anybody. What can we do to head this off? Chief McKinnon says the answer is simple, yet complex at the same time. What can we do to make sure these kind of things don't happen? Is it a training method? How do we change this? Well, the recruiting process is the first step with bringing officers into uh, law enforcement. Once we do an assessment of his or her background, we have to continue to uh, evaluate those officers on a regular basis, that is having a mental and physical evaluation, my thoughts are two or three times a year. And it's a continued process over a regular basis. If an officer is on the force for, what, 10, 15, 20 years, we need to know how he or she's thinking, what their mindset is. Those officers who were there in Memphis, when they're laughing at something, they're beating people, those are things that law enforcement officers absolutely should not ever, ever do. And there's never a pass for those kinds of things. How do we crack down on violence? I'm not sure there is a right answer. Remember what Martin Luther King Jr. said, violence begets violence, hate begets hate. Simply put, the answer to a reduction in violence is never bloodshed. Today's big thanks go out to Ken Coleman, Ike McKinnon, and David Van Wee. Check out WWJNewsRadio.com for the top local news stories on demand 24-7. To have the Daily J delivered right to you, subscribe using the Odyssey app or get it wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is written and produced by Ozone Music and Sound in Southfield. I'm Zach Clark, and this is the Daily J. Thanks for listening. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.